As we prepare now for the scripture reading, please join in prayer with me as we pray for illuminating of the scriptures. Let us pray. Gracious Lord of the harvest, let there not be a famine of your word among us today. We know that all the earth is to be set apart for your praise, that all the peoples of the earth ache for your just rule, that your gospel must be published as far as the curse is found. Be pleased today to plant seeds in us, water our soul with the rains of heaven, and in your time, bring about a plentiful harvest of faith, hope, and love in our lives. That your church might proclaim your praise abroad, and that your name might be made famous among all the nations. It is for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Our New Testament reading is found from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, uh, verses 31 to 35. You'll find it on page 979, continuing to 980 in your pew Bible. Hear now the words from the Gospel of Matthew. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in a field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds... Yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. And he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter the things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Our Old Testament lesson today is taken from the Old Testament book of Ruth and the third chapter. This is found in your pew Bibles on page 269. Ruth chapter 3, we'll be reading together the whole of that chapter. When we started several weeks ago, uh, Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, were empty. They had little to eat. They had no husbands. They were destitute in many ways. And now, thanks be to God, on Harvest Sunday, Ruth finally has her harvest. And we'll see Naomi's harvest as well. So let's read about Ruth's harvest, shall we? Ruth chapter 3. This is God's word. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you. Another way of saying that is, I must find rest for you, where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had told her to do. Verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Verse 14. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you were wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So it's harvest festival Sunday here at International Protestant Church, and this is a way for us, as Sam has been telling the children, that the Lord uh, can be praised for the fruitfulness that he has given to us. And so we give our first fruits generously to those who are still laboring in the harvest field, those that are in need. Ruth has been, by this time, laboring in the fields of Boaz for maybe seven weeks, almost a full two months, the entire harvest season. She has grieved her losses. She has migrated. She's trusted in the one true God and left her old gods behind. And now Ruth is ready, finally, for rest. She's ready for a harvest. And today, Ruth's harvest finally comes in. So I want to look together at Ruth's harvest. We'll look first at Ruth's risk. We'll look at Ruth's rest. And then we'll look at Ruth's redeemer. So her risk and her rest and her redeemer. So first, Ruth's risk. You may have seen that a couple of weeks ago in the United States, there was a very large lottery happening. $2.1 billion lottery or something like that. And the winner was actually from South Carolina, where I used to live. 
And it made me think of when I was a student in seminary preparing for ministry, and we didn't have very much money. And on my way to class every day, I would pass the lottery billboard, a huge sign by the railroad, or by the, the highway, rather. And every day that I went by, the number would climb and grow. And I thought to myself, does the Lord want me to play the lottery? Is that his plan for securing my family, for getting me through seminary? I mean, I will certainly give 10% to the church. Maybe I'll even establish a scholarship fund for other needy students like I felt like I was. Of course, I didn't play the lottery because immediately what occurred to me is, you silly, knuckle-headed Christian, uh, the Lord is calling you in these times to trust him to provide, not to go and play the lottery. In chapter 3, Ruth takes her big risk, doesn't she? But she's not playing the lottery. She takes instead the kind of risk that says, Lord, I think this is what you're leading me to. You're drawing me, it seems, in this direction. So I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do it not just for myself, but for others too, for my mother-in-law in this case. So Lord, give me success in this risky endeavor. If you've been impressed the last several weeks with Ruth's character and with her bold actions, you're going to be so impressed this week that probably you're going to start wanting to name your children and your pets and maybe your cars and whatever else after Ruth. Because what she does here is so astounding. It's mind-blowing. Ruth, or rather Naomi, comes to Ruth one evening toward the end of the harvest season. And she says in verses 1 through 4, look, I've got a plan for us plan for you. We're going to get you this rest that you want. And it's a risky plan. Verse two, it's nighttime when this plan is hatched. There's a risk to Ruth's safety. Verse three says, look, she's going to take off her widow's clothes. She'd been mourning the loss of her husband all of this time and indicating that by her clothing. And now Naomi is saying, whether you're emotionally ready for it or not, you're going to signal to the rest of the community, and especially to this man Boaz, that not only are you done with your period of grieving, but actually, and then you add the perfume and your best clothes, I'm ready for marriage to you. Bold risk. She's going to then go and she's going to pull the cloak off of Boaz's feet in the middle of the night. And she's going to, verse 4, lie down right next to him. Now Ruth changes Naomi's plan just a little bit, verse 9. And instead of lying at his feet and then just waiting for him to tell her what to do, we've kind of expected this of Ruth now. She's going to take bold action. And when he wakes up, instead of waiting for him to say something, she says, listen, Boaz, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you what you should do here. And what does she tell him? Spread the corner of your garment over me. Other texts seem to indicate, spread your wings over me. An, an idiom that indicates a marriage, that indicates blessing and safety. So there's a woman here saying, marry me in the middle of the night on the threshing floor. And a woman proposing to a man. Um, you know, times are changing, but still in 2018, 
This is pretty uncommon, right? I'm guessing that in most of the home cultures represented here, it's a little bit different for this sort of thing to happen. But can you imagine then how bizarre it was thousands of years ago in the Middle East for this sort of thing to happen? And think also about this part of the risk. Ruth is, is risking much in doing this. Imagine if Boaz says no. Then Ruth has to deal with the rejection. Maybe it ruins their working relationship and now she can't glean in his fields anymore. And then maybe Ruth would have to go home and say, mother-in-law, it didn't work. And then she has to hear Naomi say something like, see, I knew you should have never tried to find rest here. You should have gone back to Moab and back to your gods and found rest back home. It's a big risk. But there's also risks if Boaz says yes. Think about it this way. Well, they'd be married. And every indication in this text is that they would marry right there on the threshing floor, and they would consummate their marriage right there on the threshing floor that night. That's clearly what Naomi hopes will happen. And then right away, if all of this is true, then what's the point of it all? Not just love and romance, but to conceive a child, to carry on the family. This is the hope and dream of Naomi and even of Ruth. And so if they're going to try to become pregnant, then Ruth risks opening up all of the wounds of her prior barrenness. All of those feelings. It doesn't work again. Ah, I'm worthless. And if older man Boaz says yes, what else will happen? More than likely, he'll die before her. And that means that she'll have to put on the widow's garments once again and deal with the second husband to be lost. She'll have to grieve all over. There's great risk that she undertakes, even if he says yes. But here's the thing. When you are safe, as Ruth is, under the wings of the Almighty, then you can act boldly. You can take these kinds of holy risks. Now, Ruth doesn't expect that Boaz is going to reject her or shame her, but she knows that even if Boaz rejects her and casts her out, what does she have? She has shelter, doesn't she? And she has home and an identity in the almighty God himself under whose wings she has come to take refuge. And that's exactly, by the way, why she can ask. Because for her, yes is good, but no, or even some worse result than no, I won't marry you, none of that could ever peel the protective and loving wings of almighty God off of Ruth. Are you safe? Are you safe? under the wings of the Almighty. If you are, then you can take the Ruth risk when it comes up in your life. Do you have an opportunity in front of you? If it succeeded, would it benefit other people? Would it honor the Lord? Then why not at least pray and consider taking a Ruth-like risk? Maybe you're coming out of a season of grieving. Then grieve. By all means, grieve. 
But when it's time to take off the garments of grief and to step into the unknown, then you have to change your clothes and put on the perfume and put on your best outfit. And then you have to walk by faith even in the midst of your grief because you can do this if you walk knowing that you're protected under the wings of the Almighty. Ruth's risk is phenomenal here and it challenges us, doesn't it? To trust in the Lord in profound ways. So there's Ruth's risk, but then there's Ruth's rest. This passage is all about rest. You don't have Ruth's harvest without Ruth's risk, but if Ruth's risk works out, then Ruth will get the rest that she seeks. Last week we saw for the first time Naomi's spirits kind of lift, the cloud kind of come off from over top of her. And she started to believe back in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, that maybe the Lord is good even to her after all of these years of sorrow. And by the time we get to this week's reading, Naomi is active. She's back in the game. She's scheming, in fact. Because why? Because she wants rest for Ruth. Back in chapter 1, you remember, Naomi tried to get Ruth to go back to Moab and find rest there. And now, it seems like maybe Naomi's a little obsessed and preoccupied with Ruth's rest here in Bethlehem. And so in verse 1 of our chapter, she says, I'm going to find rest for you. I'm going to find a home of rest for you. But the thing is, I don't think that Naomi quite realizes how deeply Ruth has already found rest. Ruth, of course, has needs still. And in a sense, she does need further rest, doesn't she? She needs family connections. Honestly, in that culture, she needs men in her life that will protect her. She wants stability and all of the rest. But she is already resting even as she labors in the fields. She's already at rest in her spirit, even as she goes boldly and does the unthinkable on the the floor of threshing there. Isn't it interesting that if your heart is at rest, then you can go and you can act boldly and humbly. But if you are restless at heart, you can become paralyzed with grief or fear or both. The spiritually homeless get stuck at home, don't they? The one, on the other hand, who has found a home under the wings of the almighty and gracious God is at rest and is secure even when they boldly go out into the fields, into the marketplace, into difficult situations, into unknown circumstances. When you're at rest with God, you can get up as all of us will tomorrow on a Monday morning and we can face a new week with a holy vigor. We can look out, not just for ourselves, but for others. Back to Ruth here for a moment. She could have, of course, just simply proposed marriage there on the threshing floor. And maybe she could have even conceived a child right there on the threshing floor that night. But she goes beyond what Naomi thinks she's going to do. And she tells Boaz, here's what I want you to do. Don't just marry me, But be for me and for my mother-in-law, Naomi, our kinsman redeemer. 
she tells Boaz, verse 9, to marry her because he's in line to be a redeemer of their whole family. She's asking Boaz, don't just take care of and give me rest, but provide rest for Naomi, my mother-in-law, by marrying me. Boaz, you're Naomi's relative. Marry me, bless Naomi through me, and let's give her a home and a hope and a future. Put her, Boaz, under your wings as well. And so the question is, what will Boaz say? Ruth has walked into Boaz's space, onto his property, into his life, and now she's asking him to be twice the Israelite that anyone would have expected, asking him to take the golden rule and do way more than it could ever demand. And she's appealing to his kindness and his generosity, his big-heartedness, to his love for not just the letter of the law, but for the spirit of God's law. And sure enough, what happens? Boaz responds in character, doesn't he? He doesn't take advantage of her in the middle of the night like he could probably get away with. He doesn't dismiss her and all of her ridiculous requests. Instead, he says, verse 10, I'm overjoyed by your proposal. I can't believe that you would even think of uniting yourself to an old gray-haired man like me when there's so many young people, rich and poor, all around you. I will gladly marry you, Ruth, and I will redeem your whole family. But, he says, but, he says, we have to make sure that this closer relative of ours doesn't want to be a redeemer and to marry you instead. It's as if he says, Ruth, I can't believe you've asked me this, and I'm thrilled. Once you and I are married, we can come back here to this threshing floor next to this big pile of wheat, and we'll see if we can conceive ourselves a child under the stars, perhaps. But I love my neighbor, and I love you, and I love God's law. And so we will wait until tomorrow. First things first. And then, of course, in the morning, he sends her off, not empty-handed, but with a huge coat full of grain, a sort of engagement ring, we might say. And it's also a signal to Naomi, isn't it, in verse 17, that he plans to do more than just marry Ruth. He wants to send Ruth home to Naomi with a symbol of his protection. He's going to spread his wings, the corner of his garment, over Naomi as well, and include her, become family to her, redeem her, give her the rest that she hoped maybe she could find for Ruth, but never even dared to dream she could find for herself in her old age. What a man. So for Boaz, in all the temptation and the tension of this midnight encounter at the threshing floor, what happens? Well, for him, it's not hormones, first of all, but hesed, as we've been saying, that rules his passions. Hesed is the covenant, loyal, loving kindness of his God. Boaz is in the business, night and day, of extending God's own rest to others. That's his thing. So he can resist the temptation to allow his passions to overrule his commitments. And for you and for me, if we are in Christ, 
then it has to be like Boaz, right? Not hormones, but hesed that has mastery over our desires. Young people, are you hearing this? Listen, I, I get it. We're full of hormones, right? It, it wasn't so long ago that I was in the balcony right there with you. Hormones are good, and they're a gift of God. But they're not meant to rule us. God's covenant loving kindness is meant to rule us. And in Christ, your home, hormones and all of your desires can and they must be mastered by God's loving kindness, which is a stronger passion after all, isn't it? But married folks, single folks, middle-aged folks, whoever you are out there, this is for all of us too. For a Christian, hesed and not hormones has to govern the way that we treat everyone in our lives. Everyone. You're there in other people's lives to extend the rest and the joy and the peace of Jesus to them. They're not in your life so that you can take what you can get from them and then be on your way. And the same goes for all of our desires, doesn't it? Desires are good, but Boaz, like our Lord Jesus himself, brings all of his desires under the rule of his call to show God's loyal, loving kindness, generous, faithful love. And here's the thing. Once all of our desires, whether they're hormonal or otherwise, are submitted to the task of showing hesed, of showing loving kindness and faithfulness, of extending rest to others, then, as Augustine says, we can do anything we want. Augustine says, love God and do anything you want. There is great freedom in submission of ourselves to God's grace and his law, and it's a beautiful thing. Ruth's rest. She's made a great risk, and she's achieved, it seems, a great rest, not for herself only, but also for her mother-in-law. And then lastly, Ruth's redeemer. So Ruth comes home from this promise of rest that she gets from Boaz. And it's a promise for her and for Naomi. Boaz is going to make sure that the legal path is clear. And then he's going to provide whatever rest he can for these women. He's going to redeem them. Did you notice, by the way, in verse 15, that Boaz dishes out six measures of grain, not seven not seven, for Ruth. We don't want to make too much out of this, but in the context of the Old Testament, seven is usually the number of what? Of fullness, of completion, right? The world was created in six days, but it wasn't done yet. There had to be a seventh day, a day of rest, a day of completion. And even God rested on the seventh day. Boaz and Ruth's arrangement and the rest that she will receive, the final harvest, if you will, is not yet finalized, not until the next day. And Naomi, who has been obsessed, as we've said, with rest here, says to Ruth, verse 18, that Boaz will himself give himself no rest until he has done everything to secure the redemption of that family. There's no rest for Ruth's redeemer until redemption is accomplished for her. 
Now, if you didn't think that the Lord Jesus was in the Old Testament scriptures, I hope you see that he's there now. This is such a Christian passage, if there ever was one. Our hearts, after all, were as restless and as homeless as Naomi's. Our futures, and even our physical bodies, and our social positions were as unsettled as Ruth's. We were made for seventh-day rest, and there we were in the sixth day, tired and bone-weary, and with no prospects. And then the Lord Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, as he calls himself, right? Comes at just the right time, and he, our Redeemer, does what? He wins our rest for us. He gives himself no rest, nowhere to stay as a newborn, right? Nowhere safe in Judea to live as a young boy, and so he has to go to, to uh, Egypt. Nowhere to lay his head during his ministry. No rest from his ministry, really. No rest from his father's given mission. No rest from the sorrows and griefs of having to live in our broken and sinful world. And then when he sets his face like flint toward Jerusalem, he gives his own body and his own soul no rest, but he faces a bloody sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane. He faces betrayal and arrest, a corrupt trial, flogging, mocking, execution, burial. And the Lord Jesus spends, doesn't he, the Sabbath day after his Friday execution, not in glorious Sabbath rest and completeness, but where? In the tomb, dead. Jesus says, I will give myself no rest until I've accomplished your redemption for you. I will give you Sabbath rest. I will give you a home and a family and an eternal sense of security. The Lord Jesus comes to earth and he does everything that his father has called him to do. And for the Lord Jesus, just when you would think he would be reaping a harvest, after three years of merciful ministry, for him it ends in an awful famine in his own death. And he endures all of that. Why? So that he can turn to us and give us the harvest that he has won by his grace. So he can give us the full joy and rest. That's what Jesus has done to become our redeemer. And then, of course, he rises gloriously, doesn't he, from the dead. And he lives even today. And he's given us, after all, the first fruits, the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He's raised us to spiritual life. And all of this testifies to the fact, it's all an engagement ring, if you will, to the fact that there will be a great harvest soon. There will be a great wedding feast if we hang on. And there will be full, complete rest in the life of the world to come. Friends, this season of harvest, let's rejoice with full hearts in what God has provided for us. Let's let the loving kindness, the hesed, the loyalty of Christ to us become our passion and our desire as it did for Boaz. Let's let this loving kindness overrule our passions and our desires. But most of all, most of all, as we go into the rest of our lives and seek to serve him, let's take shelter under the the rest of his almighty wings. And we're safe there. 
because he's won for us by his life and death and resurrection all the rest we could ever want. And we can experience even now his rest, even as we wait just a little while longer for the great wedding feast. For we are, aren't we, the redeemed bride of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus will not slumber or sleep, but will work until he has fully and completely redeemed us forever. Gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for reviving our spirits like you did, Naomi, for stirring us up to your praises. We ask that in the days ahead, we would have something of the covenant loyalty and love that Boaz lived with, that it would rule our moments and our days. We ask that you would govern our passions by your love and loyalty so that we might be your most faithful and joyous servants in the days ahead. Bless the rest of our worship and receive our praise and send us out into the world, we pray, ready to do all that you have called us to do. And we pray it together in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.